Hello and welcome to Rangers Rundown, your 2018 podcast home for complaining about what the hamstring is and why it's important for the human body. Today, I am Max, as I am on most days, actually, and I am joined by Hayden. I am also here. And Mike. Present. And for the first time on Rangers Rundown, we're joined by a guest today, uh, introducing to the podcast universe, Kevin Carter. Howdy, y'all. How you doing, Kevin? Doing all right. I'm glad to be here. That is good to hear. So, this is a Rangers podcast. We like to talk about the Rangers. We like to talk about the minor leagues. And so, it is our understanding that you have at least some personal and professional interest in both the Texas Rangers and the minor leagues. Can you confirm or deny these allegations? Yes. I grew up a fan of the Rangers. And then, uh, after I was done with the self-torture, I decided to watch some uh, minor league baseball instead. And uh, the last few years, I've been shadowing and learning everything I can on both sides of the ball. And you currently work for Baseball Prospectus, is that right? Right, yeah. That's uh, I, I've been writing for them since January. I, I am obviously, of course, with Lone Star Ball still, and trying to interact with the people there and, and expanding what I can do at Baseball Prospectus by uh, interacting with the fine minds there. And what do they have you mostly covering? I'm doing the Texas League for them this year, but they also have me foraying a little bit into baseball operations and analysis. Uh, recently, I just did a piece on how we should rethink about the hit tool and uh, what the implications for that might be in scouting. Yeah, I did actually get a chance to read that article. I had quite a lot of fun with it, and uh, I will, I'm sure we'll put that out with all of our social media posts on this one we do definitely encourage folks who are listening to pick up a a bp subscription a lot of good writing in there but then covering what's actually going on in the league and then talking more theoretically about baseball and of course you know one of the real fun things for me the real treats is reading about all the kids so texas league that means you're you're mostly covering for ranges interests frisco but you should have at least some experience with some of the guys who are in triple a and in high a just from casual experience and also really seen in the last couple of years. Does that sound about right? Yeah, I've uh, caught a couple spring trainings and most of the players, a lot of the players you see up in the MLB club or in the AAA club have once passed through Frisco since I've been uh, spending a lot of time out there. So um, probably have written up a report on one of them. Sounds good. We will definitely dive into our minor league segment a little bit later, but we are going to try and stick to at least some of our normal schedule here, and that does involve talking about the grown-ups who play baseball, although it's starting to look less and less like the grown-ups as we uh, injure more and more of them. Big news of the week, obviously, is Adrian Beltre pulling up. Seems like another hamstring injury. I think all three of us managed to miss the play when it happened live, so... I'm denying that it actually occurred at all. You know, I saw it when it happened. I saw it when it happened, but I didn't realize what I was seeing. That was the weird thing. It was just really understated. Yeah, I was like, why didn't he dive to try and tag that guy out as he was coming into third base? And it was because he tweaked his hamstring. And I think and, it's almost more of a gut punch to have that happen when you're when you're playing Houston. So like, not only are they beating us, but they also took away our our, our, our beloved Adrian Beltre. And I, there's there's got to be a law against this or something. It's not the way that we wanted this to go. And I hate to say it, but 
when we uh, when we talked about the return of Beltrade just last week, the very first thing that I couldn't help but think and say and record was, I hope he doesn't hurt himself again. It seems like he's putting his body out there for a team that maybe doesn't deserve his uh, his last drop of blood and his last uh, fiber of hamstring. But um, man, I, I hope that it's I don't know. I it just it's sad yeah. in many different ways. It really is. That was not the reality. Uh, I was talking to my mom the other day, actually, about it, and uh, my my hopes for Beltre going forward is just that he rehabs as long as he needs to. He gets healthy, at least like plays in July well enough to where a team's going to want to acquire him for his final chance at a ring. I mean, that's pretty much all I hope for. What's funny to me is what I said on the uh, podcast last week was, you know, he's got. His days in Texas are numbered one way or another, and I was going to make a conscious effort to go see him more at the ballpark before he goes, and those number of days he has with the club just shrunk some more. Yeah, and that's, that's, one of those, that's one of those deals where we might be seeing not only the last season of Beltre in a Rangers uniform, but if these injuries keep happening, it might be the last season we see him play baseball, period. I definitely no. agree with that. Well, now, now I want to just get off this podcast and <laughs> go and take care of my feelings for the next couple of hours. It, it is something you have to think about, though. I mean, we, we waxed fairly poetic last episode talking about how much of a treat it is to see Adrian. And so seeing him so briefly and then seeing him get hurt again and being really betrayed by his body, is it, it's, it's pretty upsetting. And uh, hopefully it is something he can push through and he can get back out there. His comments on it were that if he had to guess, it was somewhere between a grade one and a little bit worse. The last hamstring injury was a grade one. But we'll see. I kind of hope he he takes his time and and really gets that thing back to where it needs to be. But like you were just saying, that may be sort of the the status. Um, A lot of us who have recurring injuries or if you have any chronic pains, you know how it is. You can do everything in your power to to get your, your knee or your back or your wrist, whatever it is, back into position. And it might still bug you day to day. And we're not professional baseball players where even a minor thing for most folks is pretty significant. You know, an elbow tweak for the average person doesn't mean that you can't go to work and live your life. So that just may be the situation that, that Adrian finds himself in. But the, the other situation that comes up with that, of course, isn't simply that we don't get to see Adrian Beltre. It's that someone actually does have to play third base for Texas, apparently. You're supposed to field a third baseman. And I'm not really sure who that's going to be. I, I think people who listen to this podcast know who I think all of us would like it to be, and that's Joey Gallo. But the team does not seem to want to be making that decision. They seem to have moved him off of third, at least somewhat permanently. So you know, what are our options right now? Uh, Renato Nunez? Yeah, that's pretty fun. I mean, his defense wasn't very good, but the bat's great. When when uh, he's He's got to be just lying around, right? Exactly. Yeah, well, you know, picked up by uh, the Rangers quadruple A team, I believe. <laughs> Rangers Orioles. East. <laughs> yeah, I haven't actually gone and, and done a full read-through on how many players for the Orioles right now are former Rangers, but it's still a ton, right? I mean... We, you could go through you could go through their entire roster over the past five or six years, and it has to be upwards of six or seven. Oh, I was going to go way higher. I yeah, me too. Over under probably like fourteen. <laughs> I'm, I 
I'm I'm gonna look this up um, one like either during our recording or right after, but it's ridiculous. Yeah, I'm with Hayden. It, I think it's I think it's. I, mean, I was gonna guess twelve. Yeah. Yeah. When when okay, and you're you can share about what you like about Renato Nunez, but the the fact of the matter is is that he's not exactly like about to break out. Everybody is watching him, and he's a can't miss prospect. I mean, he's kind of a guy that we took a chance on. And well, now yeah, took a chance on. But he's yeah, go ahead. Well, what I was going to say, like, and, and no slight on him at all, at, at all. Um, I think that he could be a productive player for sure. Um, but the fact that Baltimore of all teams picks up Renato Nunez of all players, I mean, on top of everything else, it's just they, they got to have some kind of thing. And, and uh, based off of like kind of the, the ineptitude or their perceived ineptitude of their front office. It just makes me think that they have to have somebody, like some kind of program, computer program, that just says, this former Ranger is available. Would you like to acquire him, yes or no? It's, it's so automatic. They're just, and so they're just trolling us. That's all they're doing. That's what I'm hey, Alexa, like. are there any available Rangers players? <laughs> the fact of the matter is, is the Baltimore Orioles, and unfortunately for them for the past few years, have been in a position where they can afford to take chances on guys like Renato Nunez because their MLB roster doesn't have a whole lot of MLB quality players. Uh, the, the the deal with Renato and the reason, the reason they kind of liked him and the reason why the Rangers probably picked him up is because they're, they're aren't too many players in professional baseball with plus bat speed who have sort of an interest in keeping a quality approach and who sort of limit the swing and miss and potentially have a hit tool. So he's, he's someone who we might, might miss down the road, might not, but um, I think it was a good pickup for the Orioles and obviously there wasn't a spot for him on the Rangers, but uh, he might be a might be one of those things. Four or five down the road, four or five years down the road, we hear somebody complaining that the Rangers didn't keep him. That's a very Rangers thing. I think it's the most Rangers thing is to expect that we will definitely complain about it. Every time we trade a guy, we're absolutely trading the next Kyle Hendricks. Every time we cut a guy, we are cutting the next Nelson Cruz. It's the Rangers' way. Someone has to do it. Yep. So to transition from Renato Nunez into uh, somebody who is still on the Texas Rangers and, and is still, I think, a pretty polarizing figure this season, we had another turn from Cole Hamels in the Houston series. Uh, I, I've been entertaining folks. I had my, my parents come into town for a lovely Mother's Day weekend, so I was not able to watch the entirety of that game. But, uh, Mike, I think you said you had a chance to see it, right? I did, yeah. And what, and- what did you think of Cole well, to me, a 1-0 game is, is one of the most exciting things in baseball. I love a good pitcher's duel. And it just it had me laughing because Verlander had to be thinking, what else do I have to do? Because you know, the last time around, it was him against Big Sexy. So finds himself in the same position again, throws a great game, and comes away with the loss. Um, Cole looked really good. The only frustrating thing is, it's it's taking him more pitches per at, per at bat to to get guys out, and so he's not able to go as deep into games as you would like, or is it at least as deep as he used to when he first became a Ranger? You would see him going seven, eight, nine innings, and he turned in another six inning performance because he was already at a hundred pitches, and he came out um, in a 
scoreless game, and luckily Profar uh, picked him up with a, an RBI double in the top of the seventh, and um, and the bullpen looked great. Deepman, Leclerc, and Kella came in and and just knocked him out, and uh, and it was ball game. That was a fun one to watch, and you know it, it just it had me thinking. It reminded me of when Hamels a week before the Rangers traded for him, I don't know if you recall, but he threw a no-hitter against the Cubs. Mm-hmm. And that just had me all kinds of excited when we got him. I thought, we're going to get no-hitters. <laughs> Obviously, that didn't quite pan out. He's been very serviceable for us. But it just made me wonder, is he starting to up his game in anticipation of going to a contender? Does, does it change your mindset as, as a pitcher? You know, he wants the best shot that he can get. He... he he has to know that he's going to be on the trading block. So, you know, why not go out there and put out your very best effort? Not that he was tanking beforehand, but uh, but I thought that was just a great outing for him. I do remember that that no-hitter against the Cubs. It was the first time they'd been no-hit in like a million years or something. Um, I think it was yeah. since the, the 60s. So it, it was... Actually, it was against uh, it was Koufax was the last person who no hit the Cubs in '65. I think that was the last one, and so there was a there was a Twitter account that used to post after every single Cubs game the streak. Oh, how funny! Cubs not getting no hit, <laughs> and it, I had just come across it a few months earlier. It was a very smug but funny Twitter account that was like seven thousand nine hundred games Cubs no hit. It would it, whenever they got their first hit in the game, they would tweet it out and be like. You know, big props to Javi Baez or whoever it was for breaking up the no hit streak, and uh, that account got pretty desperate by the eighth and ninth innings of that game, and it was it was very good uh, online content. So, big big shout out to whoever runs that Twitter account. I had a lot of fun with it, and I'm, I'm sure Cole Hamels did as well. And his position as a Ranger has definitely been pretty up and down. You know, we've seen some flashes this year where he's getting strikeout stuff that we haven't seen from him in a long time. But like you're saying, he's sort of laboring to get through games, and part of that is, you know, he's, he's is this the third time he's faced the Astros this season already? I think so. Or it's at least twice. I think, and, yeah, I mean, Mike Miner had some of the same problems where he we're like, all right, Mike, uh, welcome to the American League. This is the Astros. Okay, great. Uh, th- these are the Red Sox, uh, and <laughs> that seems sort of unfair, but that is what it is. Yeah, and unfortunately, with Cole, you know. It's one of those deals where it may be father time, maybe some sort sort of nagging injuries, and and maybe just something with his mechanics. Where over the past couple of years, the command has just not been where it was the first you know ten decade of his career, where it was plus, and or he could hit his spots with four different pitches and a plus change up there, a four seam fastball in the corner there, and and now he's leaving he's leaving middle middle curveballs, middle middle fastballs, and. And he still gets away with it because of his, his changeup, but man, you know, you you hoped you were going to get the the plus command Cole, and uh, Father Time is getting to him even. Yeah, it's not pretty. The writing is is on the wall. So hopefully, this is something for him to build off of. But um, you know, he's going to have to string a few more together to kind of undo this lackluster. Like I, I said, it maybe after his second start, I think on this podcast. Um, for me to not be disappointed continually by Cole Hamels, I'm just going to have to readjust my expectations, and that's what we all need to do. Mm-hmm. He's not the pitcher that we acquired. He's not the pitcher he was in Philadelphia. I mean, he's 
Uh, yeah, he could still be what, good without being yeah, that guy. Yeah, he could still be good, and yeah. he'll, he'll um, still. He, I mean, he one hit the Astros, guys. Let's remember yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's good. Yeah. He's just, I mean, this is that this good? is not the norm anymore. That's the thing. Aren't, didn't the Astros just lose a hundred games? Like, aren't they the worst team in the American League? Man, I wish. I miss those days. Yeah, so Father Time may be coming for Cole, but Father Time has yet to come for a few other people associated with the Texas Rangers, and that's really the the meat that we want to get into here with you, Kevin, is uh, talking about the kids. There's lots of kids out there. But well, there sure are. And there there are, sure are. There are plenty in the in the uh, lower minors and a couple in the top, upper minors and some interesting names that you know maybe don't get talked about quite as often as maybe they should be, so... And that's really, I think, what we want to try and, and dive into here is getting that getting that mix. So obviously, we've we've mostly talked about the big league team this year on this pod, and so one of the things I think I'd like to to get out of any prospect conversation is a is a mixture of what do these guys look like simply as prospects and as future players, and how do they kind of figure into the big league picture that the Rangers have going for them here in 2018, and then in the next year or maybe even two. You know, it's so hard to predict baseball game to game or year to year, much less two years in advance. So, kind of focusing on the the relatively short term is something that I think we're all pretty interested in doing. But I think before we can really get into talking about specific players, I think it'd be pretty valuable to get into how you look at players, like what it is that what it is that you're doing when you are evaluating minor league players, well, what kinds of things you're looking at on the field, you know, when you say a guy has, for example, plus bat speed, you know, what does that mean for you? So I think we wanted to try and get a little bit of a, an intro to Kevin when it comes to you know, your approach to minor league scouting, and we can use that to discuss some of the specific players later on. Yeah, of course. Um, I had I had sort of the opportunity to, to learn the game under some really great people out in Frisco, and then uh, a little more with uh, an area scout and uh, you know one of the things you learn quick is you're not you're you don't even want to worry about the stat line you don't want to worry about um, any of these sort of traditional things that you worried about when you were first learning baseball uh, a lot of the things that you were looking for are physical signs that there may be that you could project as being quality in the future on an MLB level. Um, so what you're basically looking for is a combination of uh, tools that create an overall profile of a player. Um, for instance, three or four different physical markers may make up a hit tool in terms of bat speed and coordination and quickness, and quick twitch and pitch recognition, each of these combines into sort of how well you think a player is going to make contact at the MLB level. And then you have to worry about uh, strength and how that translates into raw power. And then, of course, the most important part of it all is the defensive profile and how certain offensive profiles fit in certain defensive areas. A shortstop doesn't need to hit as much as a first baseman because... The shortstop provides more value with the glove, and it's easier to find a shortstop who, or a first baseman who can hit in an MLB average level than it is to have a shortstop. So all of these these different little markers you create and or you find and evaluate and try to build an overall profile for each of these players, with the understanding that you could be absolutely wrong. You know, every single one of these kids 
maybe is able to take the next step and, and improve their physical tools or improve their physical um, profile, or maybe something happens and they can't. But really, as an evaluator and as a scout, the only thing you can do is to look at the whole picture now and based on historical data you have, build a profile for the each, each minor leaguer. So it sounds like one of the big challenges or issues or maybe skills that comes into scouting these players is not just looking at the individual parts and not just looking at the total player, but at looking how the two things kind of interact with each other. So you could have a guy who has a couple of pieces that you think are really interesting and that make him look like a big league player. And you can have guys who just look like a big league player despite not maybe having some of those individual pieces that really stand out. I think we heard this a lot in some ways with Jerks and Profar when he was a prospect that he didn't have some of the big, sexy, loud tools that folks liked, but people saw a ball player when they were looking at him. And then a lot of yeah. the scouting comes into like mating those two things where you find how do those little pieces build the whole and how does the whole ball player make the most out of what pieces he has. Is, is that sort of you know, a fair approximation of, of what scouting kind of looks like? Yeah, it is. It's it's a combination of the physical tools and then baseball abilities. And it, it's been that way forever, and it's going to be that way forever. And Jerkson Profar is a great example because coming through the system, he didn't exactly he, – he had the instincts of the ball player, and he, he had this aura about him that um, – made everybody recognize that he understood baseball and and that's worth a lot in a profile. But the other great example that he creates is he didn't necessarily have the loud impact tools that maybe were immediately obvious the eye. He wasn't a blazing runner. He didn't have impact power, but he had impact quickness and impact coordination, which aren't immediately obvious as obvious as some of the other tools like double plus bat speed or a crazy and talented range at shortstop, but being able to recognize a pitch out of the hand, wait to see if the ball is going to be a strike, make the quality decision based on where the ball is, and then have the quickness and explosiveness to turn on it and drive the ball into the gap is absolutely one of the physical markers that scouts look for. And and as we progress further in our analysis and data analysis of what's important to an overall profile, that that kind of quickness and coordination is only going to be more uh, important as it goes on. Jerkson Profer is a really interesting player to me in a lot of ways. We've talked about him a bunch on this podcast, and so he's somebody that's always sort of stood out as a as a prospect is because you know he was a number one prospect and that kind of is i think fresh in folks brains in the last couple of years and so he's been interesting to watch as a guy who's never really had a, a prolonged period to play in the bigs so it's been pretty fun for me to see him playing so much and going out there and getting his opportunities this year especially because he's suddenly good as a right-handed hitter and terrible <laughs> as a left-handed hitter which is the opposite of his career, right? He, there are people who are saying that he should have ditched his right-handed swing a couple of years back. And yeah. Now he's awful as a lefty, and he has a... I think his WRC Plus as a righty is over 200. It's it's so interesting how that works. I, I mean, I noticed early in the year when he started his first time up as a right-handed uh, hitter, I think one of the first games he played, he hit a home run uh, from the right-handed side. And, and one of the first things you notice is... He had a leg kick that looked a lot like Elvis Andrus's. 
Yeah. And uh, it's it's not something that you know for a fact that he worked on, but it looked completely different than sort of the wind up that he had done in the past. And uh, it kind of makes you think that he that was something he specifically worked on uh, over the off season. Yeah, it's interesting. We the one of the things that when I think about the season so far for the team is how unfortunate that we've been with uh, the injuries and the record and all that kind of stuff. But one of the things that I am actually extremely thankful for is that we finally have a place to learn who Jurix and Profar actually is on the major league level um, for an extended period of time, um, probably at least eight weeks and going forward and seeing just who he is do we want to keep him do we want to trade him is he going to be a second baseman can he play shortstop all of these questions that we've really had for what five six years we're going to actually see play out um without him having to look over his shoulder about losing his job or feeling pressure or a manager not want to play a young guy or all that kind of stuff so it's cool to see i don't know what is inside jerks and profars uh mlb tool bag and that right-handed power is is a pleasant surprise. Yeah, and it's it's a blast to see those those eleven pitch at bats. Oh yeah, you, you love to see that. And and you know that left-handed swing. It's one of those things where it looks to me like something he's just not comfortable. Maybe a little mechanical tweak or something. But the track record for that left-handed swing is that. You know, maybe it's not going to light the world on fire, but it's probably not as bad as it has been this season. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we've talked about Jerickson a little bit, but I, I think it'd be it would behoove us to to dive into some of these younger folks who have not yet had their opportunities to get into the bigs. So we we all had some homework to do to come up with a. Uh, short lists of players we'd like to ask about at the double AA and triple A level with uh, a, a few extras out there. So I think we'll turn this one over to Mike. Um, you should have a list of double uh, A and triple A guys. You know, who's who's been burning a hole in your head here? Anybody you want to you want to lead us off with? Uh, yeah, as a matter of fact, um, the first person I'd like to talk about is actually with the big league club. That would be Isaiah Counterfalefa, which you know in the last few years I've seen his name seen him at, at uh, Frisco and saw that name, saw utility infielder plays all positions, including catcher. And I thought, okay, I'm never gonna have to learn that name. <laughs> and, <laughs> and here he is. And, you know, it's not just a cup of coffee. You know, he's, he's getting, he's getting a nice little uh, stay with the club. He's up to uh, 102 at bat. So um, he's been fun to watch love his defense i love his approach you know he just seems like it, the stage isn't too big for him he, he seems very relaxed at the plate and uh he's given us a little pop a couple of home runs unfortunately it, the longer he stays with the club um it seems the the worse he gets he i was just looking he's batting 245 on the season with the big league club but in the last 15 games that drops to 224 in the last seven games that drops to 154 so I think he was probably pretty amped up when he first joined the club and i think he's kind of starting to come back to earth what do you think kevin and he's fun isn't he i mean the, the the one thing you can say about isaiah counter whether whether he's batting 124 or whether he's batting 300 uh, he's he's a consummate professional and he plays the game 
was sort of the Michael Young mentality that, that you kind of got to be around a long time if you're a Texas Rangers fan. And one of the first one of the first impacts that he ever made with me is is I was it was my first year out with Frisco. And so I was a little bit nervous. I was I was talking to big names all of a sudden, like uh, like Tepid and uh, all these people were around me, and I was on the field. And Isaiah Kinderfalafel was the first person to come up and introduce himself and and talk with me about baseball and and take batting practice while while you know discussing this sort of this sort of what it's like at the AA level. And uh, ever since that time. Just watching him play has been an absolute joy. He he goes out there every single day with a plan. He goes up to the plate every single time, understanding what he needs to do. Um, he's one of those guys who doesn't like we talked about with with players before. He doesn't necessarily. He's not filled with the physical size or the raw athleticism that you would sort of expect to see in the MLB, but due to his work ethic and 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 innate coordination and quickness, he's been able to carve out a little bit of a career for himself already. Um, and yeah, he, you guys, it, it does seem like he's, he's a little short on God-given talent, but it seems like he's got a really high baseball IQ. That's kind of the impression I get from him. Oh yeah, absolutely. He's he's baseball IQs through the roof. He uh, he has the one thing he's got going for him in, in terms of in baseball talent is he understands how to move he he's fast he's fast off the draw he's explosive he has a lot of these little markers that you you sort of look for um in undersized guys that go well despite his size the explosiveness is there he understands how to hit the feel for barrel suggests that you know maybe maybe he could bat 280 291 year maybe uh, his on-base percentage will be high because he has a quality approach at the plate. And, of course, being able to play eight defensive positions never hurts. Yeah, that makes you pretty handy. I still really want to see him catch. Yeah, it's, I, want, I want to see it. I've, I've been promised this wonderful experience, and I, it has yet to be delivered to me. The, the first time he caught... Uh, I was sitting up in the stands, and the first time I ever saw him catch, and to the credit of Kiner Falefa, I had one of the scouts in the stands with me and go, he's a below-average receiver. This was the first game he had caught in a major league. Heck, he didn't catch in high school. This is the first game he had probably caught since, you know, God knows when. And wow. he was already pinged as a below-average receiver. His pop times were great. He was accurate, strong throws to second. He was framing within a couple months. I mean, just the, the, the amount of work that had to go into that progress to come out to the AA level and play like that is amazing. You ever think we could see the day where um, you would go with just one bench guy for the entire infield, maybe just for <laughs> a short stretch to get an extra pitcher in there or something? You know, unfortunately, I, I don't think that'll be the case. I'd love to see it, and I know for a fact that if you asked IKF, he'd say, hell yeah, I can do it. You know, he's he's just that kind of mentality of player. But the uh, fact of the matter is, guy, especially with a guy like Banny, he's going to want his two catchers because he has these he has this idea in his, and, you know, the honestly, 
rightfully so. Catchers do what they do because they're catchers. You know, most they have these relations. They build these relationships with these pitchers. They have to work every single day on their framing and receiving. So, I mean, as much as I'd love to see Isaiah Kiner-Falefa as the only bench player for the Texas Rangers for a game or two, you probably won't see it just because of how difficult the job of catcher is. Okay, if I can't get that, then I want to see him play every position within a 90 game. <laughs> it's got to happen. <laughs> Why not this season? I mean, <laughs> help me understand I mean, that. He's got, a, he's got a couple innings in center field, so uh, maybe maybe so. Get him, uh, get him his last little taste of coffee. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> we can edit this pause out. <laughs> Three, 33, I'm Not good at transitions. This is where Max usually goes. I can, I can give a transition. That's fine. Yeah, I, I rely on you to do so. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so we, we did just get a chance to talk about uh, a kid who is uh, getting his chance to wear the big boy pants and, and play up with the, the big league team. So, Hayden, I know there was somebody who is uh, on your list we all want to be talking about. Take us away. Yes, so Calhoun um, obviously can hit, can hit, can hit. Um, hit like 30 home runs last year in AAA. Um to be honest, um, seems like a really good pickup for us, along with the other two guys for you, Darvish, and what um, kind of what he gave to the Dodgers last year. But um, the the thing that's holding him back is the defense. Some people say that some people on this podcast would say that it's because of uh, service time that he wasn't up. Uh, now we've passed the ten day mark to where the service time would be a factor. So I guess the defense truly is. Um, prohibitive of him being an MLB? What do you think, Kevin? Well, I mean, it really comes down to two things with, with why he's not with the Major League Club. And one is he's actually a well below average defender in left field. Um, the instincts aren't exactly where you want them to be, but really what holds him back is uh, he's slow. And being slow as a left fielder is tough. And it doesn't help when your arm is below average, too. So... It's just kind of a perfect storm for Calhoun, but the main thing, the main reason why he's probably down right now is because the Rangers are wanting to get an extended look at uh, Ronald Guzman. Uh, as long as he's up, Gallo's in left field, which is going to keep, which is going to keep Willie in in AAA because you're not going to call him up and have him ride the pine while right. Guzman and Gallo are taking those spots. Yeah. So I have a question for you. Have you been able to put eyes on? Uh on Willie this year? I have not this year, unfortunately, but I saw him a plenty a couple times last season, uh, and it's fun. Uh, yeah. He's, he's a, he's, you're talking about a specific profile that is near and dear to my heart, and uh, he's, a, he's a thick dude with strength and quickness and explosiveness, but more than that, he's extremely coordinated. The, the guy can take a bat, whip it around his body, blindfolded, and hit a ball um, hard. And he, he there was this instance last year, I know, where he wanted to emulate the swing of Babe Ruth. And so he changed his windup, he changed up his, his how he swung, and he hit a dinger. I mean, this is a kid who just 
understands how to hit. And and I know that the early season stats maybe not suggest shit, but uh, as long as as long as his approach and as long as he can not swing at sixty balls out of the zone because he knows he can make contact. As long as he doesn't do that, he's going to hit, and he's going to hit a lot. Yeah, the reason I ask is uh, I read that he's actually dropped eight pounds since the beginning of the season, so it sounds like he's really trying to do the things that they want him to do to get better, especially on the speed front. I just didn't know how much that had translated to any improvement in the field or not. I mean, I, I absolutely believe that he's, he's 100% on this because a guy like Willie – who has been through every single level, been told that he is not going to be capable of progressing, he's, he's shown every single time that he can. And so if the next step that's keeping him from being in the MLB is that he's too slow and that the defense is not coming along as quickly as you'd expect it to, he's going to go out there and train with a chip on his shoulder every day to make sure that uh, that can't be said about him come the All-Star break. That's great. Yeah, I, I, you can say what you will about a complete ball player and defense and speed and kind of the the stere- I guess the whole package or something. But it is just sweet to have a, watch a guy that can just put the barrel on the ball and just hit it hard. It's a yeah, lot I mean, of fun. The fact of the matter is, David Ortiz didn't play first base between right. thirty and forty. So I mean, if you if you can hit, you can play. And right. I think there's there's an excellent chance that not only will Calhoun be a uh, a plus uh, hit tool guy, but the power is going to translate, especially with how well the ball carries in the MLB. Yeah, it's going to be fun. So we've talked about a couple of bats. Uh, I'd like to see if we can get a transition over to talking about one of the arms down there, another teammate of Willie's and a former teammate of Connor Falefa, and that would be... Somebody on Mike's list, I believe, coming into this. Get a couple of arms in there, right, Mike? Yes. Um, so the first guy I want to talk about would be um, Connor Sadzik. And he's a guy, you know, there was a lot of hope for him in years past that he was going to rise up to the minors and he was going to actually be something. Um, and maybe that wasn't going to be a starter, but maybe an effective reliever. And he's, he's just continuing to kind of wallow around, you know, uh, he's got a 4.4 ERA, which is a vast improvement over last year in Round Rock because he jumped up to 6.25. But, I mean, is there any hope for him at this point, or is he just filling out a roster spot? Oh, of course there's hope for him. He, you know, he throws he throws gas, straight-up gas, and when you can throw 100 miles an hour, you're going to get every opportunity that is there. Because uh, long story short, anybody who says that velocity doesn't matter doesn't really understand what pitching is. Um, Sadzek knows how to use his velocity as a weapon. He knows how to work off the fastball. And it's it's been sort of a work in progress for him. And I, I still think he's going to he's gonna transition into a sort of a middle relief role someday with an LB club uh, but it's tough it's tough for a guy like him who's who's undergone so many injuries and he's had Tommy Johns and the the hardest thing for them to come back from is generally to get that fastball command back and I, I think that there was a there was a brief time in, in 2016 where it kind of looked like he was going to be able to get that command consistency back to where he was going to be able to stick in a back rotation 
because uh, he was sitting he was sitting 94 95 with this two seamer who and he can pump it up with the four seamer to the high 90s late in the game and uh, then his last inning, he'd just turn it on. In sixth inning, coach would come out and tell him, you're not you're not going another inning, let it loose. And you'd see five 100-mile-an-hour fastballs in a row that just shocked the hitter into submission. But when, when, you, when you don't have that sort of command consistency from time to time, you really need secondaries to bail you out. And unfortunately for Sadzak, he sort of works with two fringe-to-fringe average uh, slider curveball, neither of which is really a carrying tool. It's kind of more of a mix-in. And uh, his changeup, which has flashed above average in the past, it's it's sort of inconsistent at times. So really, he has to work fastball and fastball location. And and when he's not doing that and he wasn't doing that consistently, the uh, the bullpen was the only choice they had. Uh, it might be another year, you know, before before he starts to see it. But I bet you he gets a little little taste of the bigs uh, before too long. Correct me if I'm wrong. He's on his last uh, option, isn't he? Yeah, and so this is I, come September. You, you can ex- probably expect to see him up. He'll get he'll get his opportunities to pitch too. It won't be one of those forty man call ups, so he can just chill. He'll be playing because they they honestly need to see if he can he can get in those reps and play his way onto an MLB bullpen. He reminds me a little bit of Wilmer Font from a couple years back, another really hard throwing guy who couldn't quite make it stick as a starter or as a reliever. And then you know Wilmer opened up the season and finished off last year, from what I remember, being really effective in AAA and got a chance at the Dodgers and didn't work out with. Los Angeles. I think he's landed with Oakland right now, but it's sort of the same kind of concept. Somebody throws as hard as a guy like Font or Sadsek does, and you're gonna you're gonna give them opportunities to play in the bigs if they even have a semblance of command. Right. I mean, that kind of velocity it's it's really overbearing, and and guys in the big leagues they can make contact with it. Every every single guy in the big leagues is gonna be able to time a 100 mile an hour fastball. But when you're timing a 100-mile-an-hour fastball and you you have less time to say, is this a ball or a strike? You have less time to instinctually react to location. So that kind of velocity really does make it challenging for a hitter. And uh, there's not a single hitter in baseball who would rather face um, Bar- or who'd rather face Araldis Chapman to Bartolo Colon. I mean... Raldis Chapman just dominates you with velocity and then all of a sudden switches it up and it makes it really hard for hitters. And so guys like Sadzik, they will get their opportunities because all they have to do is find some semblance of location or some secondary that can take them over that edge and all of a sudden they're dominant back-end relievers. All right, so there's one other guy uh, at Round Rock that I want to just touch on real quickly before we move down to Frisco. And this guy is Andy Abanez. And he's a guy that I haven't paid a whole lot of attention to in the minors just because we've got a log jam at second base with Odor and Profar. You know, you've got the competition there and what's how's that going to play out? So I'd, I'd never heard anything to the effect that he's just blowing the doors off this thing and that he's going to be forcing the Rangers' hand to bring him up. But he's someone that you could still keep an eye on. He's, he's a, it's a pretty good player. And then... And then I pulled up uh, his stat sheet, 
and I'd say that he's been moved to third base. What happened there? Yeah, so Andy Ibanez is an interesting... He is an interesting player, and he's kind of one of those guys who's a bat-first profile. Um, the third base thing, I have a, I have a trouble seeing that's going to stick because his defensive instincts at second base aren't great. The hands are below average. The arm is fringy. So it might just be something where they can try it and see if it can stick well enough. Obviously, the Rangers are in need of guys with his profile right now, and so if he can play multiple defensive positions effectively or, heck, passably, you know, he may get his taste. Uh, he's a guy who can has a lot of feel for barrel. He really understands how to get the bat to ball. He has an advanced approach at the plate, and he has a track record for success in Cuba and in the minor leagues. So he's a guy that, you know, maybe you look at and you go, well, there's nothing impact. The bat speed's just average. There's nothing here that makes me think like he's going to be a cornerstone in my in my uh, offensive, my lineup. But, you know, he's a guy who could possibly squeak out a couple seasons in the MLB if he can hit enough. That sort of reminds me of you just talking about him like that, perhaps – there's a little bit of the the markers that you were mentioned with uh, yeah. Profar and IKF yeah. that yeah. it doesn't flash cornerstone like you said, but it might be something that where altogether it ends up being a decent decent guy for you. Uh, it's a little different with with him. Uh, one of the things that you look at you look at IKF, you look at Profar, is despite their their size or their their sort of loud flat or lack of loud flashy tools, they had something that carried them. Isaiah Kiner Falefa had this instinctual understanding of how to move and his he, he was twitchy and quick and Profar was elite quickness with elite understanding of the game. And Ibanez, he didn't really have anything like that. He he okay. he's good at controlling the barrel, but He's not overly quick. He doesn't have an excellent sense of the game. So he, he's kind of one of those guys that I wouldn't necessarily bet on making the jump to being that next sort of player. But, you know, he's one of those guys who it wouldn't necessarily surprise me if he had a year where he stuck as a regular on some fringe team. All right. All right. So I'm going to go ahead and switch gears here a little bit and drop us down to double A, get more into your wheelhouse. And I want to talk about a guy who I have been a big fan of for quite some time now. And when I say a big fan, I mean a big fan because I like I like these big boys. I like big pitchers. And that means Adam Chaplin. <laughs> and I don't know that there's somebody who is better described as a big boy on the Rangers organizational chart than the six foot nine, twelve thousand pound Adam Chaplick who who sort of resembles an ogre when you take a look at the <laughs> lineups pregame. My understanding is this is a big lefty which has some natural deception. You can get into the nineties. That sounds like a potential big league option to me. Uh, you've hopefully seen Adam a little bit more than I have. What do you have to say about Mr. Shoplight? You know, you, you hit it on the head with that natural deception. I'm, I'm not sure if you can be 6'9 with a gigantic wingspan and not have a little bit of, uh, a little bit of deception there. 
uh, he, he comes out and uses his height pretty well. Um, he throws in the low mid mid nineties, I think 92 to 94 is generally where he sits. Uh, he's, he's one of those guys who he's just really hard to pick up the ball because all of a sudden the ball is 50 feet up in the air and coming down you at a sharp angle. So yeah, left-handed guy with that ability. Um, he's, he's going to get his opportunities to, to develop that secondary well enough to, to get to the MLB. The hard thing for someone like Choplik is uh, they've been trying really hard to, to get that secondary to where and find some sort of secondary pitch that could really be a carrying tool for him against, um, against left-handed batters. And historically he hasn't really had anything that screamed plus or um, any sort of uh, secondary that, could carry him. Um, but I know this year they were working on him trying to get this splitter going to see if maybe uh, he could get some good dive on that. But I saw it and it's, it's a little, little hard to a uh, little hard to say this early in a pitch's life, but right now it's not too effective. And, but if, if he can just get it up to a level where it's average or close to average and he has his, you know, average above average curveball. He could absolutely carve out an MLB role as a left-handed guy. Um, that size, that velocity, he's going to get his opportunities. Very fun to hear. So let's keep talking about some of his teammates down there in Frisco. Hayden, who do you have next on your list? I believe I have a player that goes by the name of Jose Trevino. So a <laughs> guy who... A lot of Rangers fans probably are aware of his name, have at least heard it before. He's won back-to-back uh, gold gloves in the minor leagues as the best minor league catcher, which is uh, certainly reminiscent of a uh, of another gold glove catcher um, that we're all familiar with. But um, the book on him, I guess he's, he's the reverse Willie, um, is that can he hit uh, at any sort of level that would be a passable for even like a backup catcher. Um, he did just come off the DL and hit some dingers, which is really cool. Um, but I'm, I've am i never seen him play, and I'll, if I were to watch him play, I honestly don't even know what to watch for. So what is the uh, – I guess what's like the – outside of just saying Jose needs to learn how to hit better – What's really the key for him to carving out a long uh, career where he will be able to shine with those defensive skills? You know, Trevino, he's already started in limited sample this season, but he's already started doing something that I was really concerned about last year, which was the approach. Uh, historically, he's been a guy who makes enough contact where he never felt like he needed to um, sort of develop that, that walk rate. Um, but this year it's obviously been something that he's been focused on. Uh, it's, it's tough to say how well that's going to translate to the MLB, but you can tell that there's a concentrated effort for him to take more pitches out of the zone. And, uh, that's going to be a big part of it because he's, he's got the coordination to, to hit enough for his defense uh, it really comes down to how much is the patience going to develop and how much is that, that game power going to show up. Okay, so so going forward, if we're looking for – I mean, because he's 
somewhat the heir apparent sort of to Torinos. If we see him with a high walk rate, maybe we get the the inclination that he's um, moving in the right direction for him in, in his development. So we'll see him soon, maybe. You'd hope so. Um, the the glove is is really what they say it is. It's right. he's gonna he's gonna work with the pitchers very effectively. He's gonna be a captain of the team. And he's gonna play. He's gonna play a plus defensive catcher. And and really, that's rare enough. There are guys like that who don't ever hit at all, who carve out ten year careers in the MLB because teams want that guy um, to be the twenty fifth man on the roster to to sort of. Um, make sure that your pitchers have a backup kind of catcher who understands the game, who can call a good game, who can receive and, and get strikes where maybe the other catchers wouldn't. And the, the thing with Trevino, though, is is he probably, you know, you'd like to think that maybe there's a chance in there that he's a, he's a starting catcher. And he has the physical tools that you, you'd really want to see. He's got some raw power. He's, he flashed it in, uh, in A-ball. He flashed a little more raw pair, power his first year in, in double or A-plus ball and in high A. So it's, it's one of these things where, you know, you'd like to see if he could maybe hit for a little more power. And, and part of that is just swinging good pitches and letting, letting those bad pitches go. Take or and then when you get those mistake pitches, do the damage with it. Don't don't sit back and try to roll over or try to hit it through the gap. Be willing to take a hack at her. And uh, if he can do those things, if he can add a little more pop into his game, and if he can start to lay off more pitches out of the zone and, and get a little better with the pitch recognition on breaking balls, he could potentially be an average starting catcher, which would be huge for the Rangers. Yeah. It would be nice to be able to develop another uh, starting catcher out of the minor league ranks. So, in keeping with our double A trend, I'm going to pass it back over to Mike. Who you got at double A that's intriguing you? Uh, this is a guy I'm actually kind of excited about because he's a shiny new toy and uh, seems to be doing some good things. Um, we're talking about the right field, fielder, Hunter Cole, who we picked up as the player to be named later in the Sam Dyson trade with uh, San Francisco last year. So um, he spent a couple of years at AA and, you know, putting up decent numbers, but definitely not numbers that are going to get a quick invite for a, a nice long stay with the Major League Club. But uh, he's he's really picked up his game this year. Um, his batting average went from 249 last year to 295 this year. His ops went from 753 last year to 867 this year. So he's he's 25 years old so you know we're going to have to find out about him relatively quickly but he does have promise what do you think Kevin yeah so I'm going to be real honest with you um when I saw Hunter Cole's name on that player to be named or later um news flash I went who like what what could the Rangers have seen in this guy at 24 25 years old um from what I saw completely limited to corner outfield. Like what is, what is this guy bringing to the table? Why him? And so you see him and, and you know, the immediately you're kind of, you look at him and there's size, there's a good muscle build. He, he looks strong and sturdy. Uh, he moves with some fluid athleticism. And so, you know, you look at it a little more and it starts to look pretty good. And, 
and then he takes a couple pitches outside of the zone. He swings through a curveball, and then another curveball in the zone, and he hits it 385 feet for a home run. And, uh, he's been doing that consistently. And really with, with Cole, um, what it comes down to is will he – Will that plate approach transition into the MLB? Will he be able to maintain this when he's seeing plus curveballs and sliders on every single pitcher and uh, be a quality fourth outfielder for an MLB club? And I think the, the chances are, no, he probably won't. But you can absolutely see why this is the guy that the Rangers pick because there is a chance. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And given where Sam Dyson was when we traded him, you know, to get anything back was <laughs> a right. bonus. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I'm surprised it wasn't cash. So, I mean, getting someone who has a chance, even if it's rather on the small side, to impact your major league club is, is absolutely something worth going for. Yeah, it's like some magic beans. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a big fan of magic beans. I'm a big fan of the kind of magic beans that maybe turn high upside pitchers and um, especially high upside left-handed pitchers into big leaguers. So there's a guy who's been sitting around for a couple of years that I think Rangers prospect hunters are familiar with in Brett Martin, who has at times looked like a potential frontline guy and at times has looked like somebody who is doesn't even belong in double A. And I think we've seen both versions of that to some extent so far this year. Who is Brett Martin? What is this man? What is the baseball phenomenon that is Brett Martin? If you can answer that question, then you would be able to take your pick of any MLB club. Um, Brett Martin, first look, is tall, projectable lefty, clean arm action, looks like the mechanics are really fluid. So the first look is just immediate. He makes an impact in your mind. You've seen this profile succeed in the past. Um, it looks like a ball player. And then he gets on the mound, and he's flashing from 95, 96 from the left-handed side with some run. He's mixing in plus change-ups, and he has a good feel for the plus change-up. Uh, the curveball looks a little weak early, but then he'll have an inning where he drops three hammers right in a row plus curve balls so you're thinking to yourself well why is he why is he giving up 15 hits per nine why is he struggling so hard at the double a level when these stuff screams that he should be wiping the floor but the fact of the matter is we see this i know you guys have talked about this guy a lot matt moore matt moore has plus changeup plus curveball he he has a 95 mile an hour fastball from the left side like this is this is the kind of you look at Matt Moore and you go, why is he so consistently failing? And you look at Brett Martin, you say the exact same thing. But the fact of the matter is, fastball command, fastball command, fastball command. When you leave three fastballs middle middle, they're going to get teed off on. I don't care if the player is in Hickory or in in AAA. You know, Brett Martin is going to have to find that that consistency with the fastball command and. Um, you know, for a guy like him, there's hope. It's not like a, a, a lost cause like others. Uh, you have you have a real chance that he finds it because of how many years he's missed with injuries. And so you just hope that he finds that mechanical consistency and, and realizes his potential as a number three guy in a rotation sometime. 
Okay, so we've gone over a bunch of the guys at AA and AAA in some pretty good detail. I wanted to sort of run through a few other names that might pop out and be interesting and just get a, a really, really brief look from you on whether or not you think these are big leaguers. To use the words of our, our, our beloved Tepid, are these guys dudes or not? And give me just a top of your head, little lightning round response and everybody. So I'm going to start off with uh, Jose Cardona with AAA. Oh, he's a dude because of his defense. Okay, how about uh, Dale LaSquera? <laughs> I to stop because I have no idea if that is. Okay, yeah, he's this guy with some interesting numbers. We'll skip him. <laughs> 105 and 5. Uh, I'll stick to ones I know a little bit better then. Uh, no, that's good. I haven't been yeah. around Rock this year, so. That's fine. I don't know if you'd seen him before. That's funny. How about see, Dustin uh, Hood? Good, no, good not one. a dude. Not gonna hit enough. Hayden? Uh let me go with um I'm gonna go to double A. Let's ask about Josh Morgan. Yes, dude, because he has crazy feel for hit and I'm tending to I tend to bet on those guys. Sweet. Mike? Uh ooh, ooh, another one. This is a personal favorite of mine. Pedro Payano. No. I didn't think so. Uh, just nothing, oh. nothing, <laughs> nothing there. <laughs> Mike, you got one? Uh, yeah, staying with Frisco. What about Scott Heineman? Scott Heineman. Uh, yeah, I'll I'll take Scott Heineman as a fourth outfielder. How about Wes Benjamin? Ooh. No. No. Oh man, making me sad. How about Carlos Garay? No. How about uh, Ariel Gerardo? Should we be getting excited about him again? If he can maintain the command and keep that sinker ball low, yeah. Is Jeff so Springs so a reliever? Yeah, Jeff Springs is a reliever. I'm not sure if he's okay. an MLB reliever, but... Brat. <laughs> 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 Specificity gets me again. Hayden? Uh, let me go over to the Round Rock roster. Let's see. Uh, Sean Tolleson, Chichi Gonzalez, Tim Lincecum. These are fun names. Let's go with um, mm, here's a, here's one for you that's I I think is interesting. You may not. Uh, does Hanser Alberto make it back to the big leagues? That's really up to Hanser. Um, there have been some some uh, problems coming back from injury that maybe wouldn't or shouldn't have been there. And uh, if he if he can get back into it, then yeah, he's his defense and his glove work is going to carry him to be a uh, a utility guy again. I've got one more. Um, going back to uh, Frisco, he's a guy that kind of excites me, but I don't know a whole lot about him. Brady Feigl. Yeah, Brady Feigl. My my first gut says no. Uh, he doesn't really have any overpowering stuff, but. If he can continue to command like he does, then yeah, he'll have a shot one day. I think I'm going to wrap us up with one last player. Um, I actually hadn't heard of him before. He just popped out because his numbers are pretty incredible to me. Uh, really no idea if this dude could ever see the big leagues, but uh, his name was Carlos Tochi. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Tochi's got a shot. And... Uh, <laughs> He's, you think you could actually see a big league field one day? Could could do it because his glove is 
yeah, apparently plus, and uh, those plus center fielders are kind of uh, kind of take them when you can get them. But one of his deals is he's going to have to learn to um, to swing at strikes and take balls because uh, he kind of looks lost against MLB quality stuff. And so uh, it's one of those things that if he does make it, it's going to be a slow burn. He's going to uh, he's going to need to improve a lot there. Okay, so we've run up and down the upper minors for the Texas system. I think we want to take this opportunity to ask you about some thoughts about the Texas League more generally. There are a couple of pretty interesting names out there. So who are some uh, highlights for folks to maybe go and catch when when their teams rotate through Frisco? Who are some of your favorite kids to have seen this year on other teams? Oh man, they're uh, you know the Texas League overall is it's it's not the best it's ever been, but. On any given day, you can see some extraordinarily high-quality players. Um, when the San Antonio Missions came into town, the name that everybody immediately thinks of is Fernando Tatis Jr. And it's a kid who, 19-year-old, who has plus raw power from shortstop. He has plus athleticism. He kind of checks all the boxes of, of this player is going to mash and, and this player is going to be a stud. And he carries himself like a stud. And and so um, when I saw him, everything that he is as advertised, he's more advanced than most 19-year-olds are. He, he has a feel for shortstop, and he, he should stick there. And um, Now, there, there's some development stuff with him where, you know, he, he's going to have to develop the pitch recognition. He's a little bit too free of a swinger uh, on, on breaking balls. But, man, when he, he shows an instinctual feel to go to all fields with power, and that kind of thing in a 19-year-old is just rare. And then you have his teammate, Josh Naylor, who might be the best hitter in AA. Uh, he's a guy who always had feel for hit, and he always had pl- double-plus raw power, and everybody thought, man, where is this guy? where are this guy's home runs? And then all of a sudden this year, he, he made an adjustment with bat plane, uh, and man, it's, it's, it's made such a huge difference. The contact's loud and often. He is the most advanced plate discipline player I have seen in double a and in my tenure in W double a he, he recognizes breaking pitches. He understands the zone and he knows which pitches he can do damage with. And he does it. Uh, he's, he's kind of my pick this year of he's going to force himself onto an MLB club as soon as his defense lets him uh, the, the guy that, as if Houston didn't have enough good spots on their their team, Jordan Alvarez is a is going to be an above average major league player. I, I imagine is uh, is he's, he's going to be a first baseman. Uh, there were some toying with him in other positions, but uh, he should be a good first baseman there. And but the dude has an understanding of the zone like Naylor, even if it's not to quite the extent. And uh, the the raw power is huge and the bat speed is huge and, and he he's getting better every year and it looks like he's going to turn himself into a quality baseball player. And then you have some other names who, you know, maybe have a little bigger flaws in their games and maybe, maybe don't show exactly the same track record, but, uh, but the Tulsa drillers, you had Luke Rayleigh who uh, plus bat speed shows feel for hit, but, uh, he's limited to third base, and, and there's concerns that the plate discipline and the plate approach won't quite be good enough for him to uh, to make it 
full time as a third baseman. But man, if he can solve that, he's going to hit and he's going to hit for some pop. And, uh, you got guys like DJ Peters, who has arguably one of the best baseball bodies in, in the entire game. He's you know, mid six, six five, and he's shaped like a, a statue of David. And uh, <laughs> he he has double plus raw power. The bat speed is insane, but he has absolutely no idea what a breaking ball looks like. And it's giving him fits. And the higher he goes up the ladder, the more fits he's going to have. Um, but that power is going to carry him because he the ball sounds off his bat unlike anything you've ever heard. Uh, you have his teammate Kiebert Ruiz, who is a catcher, who is above average at everything. And that plays. That's going to be a that's going to be a MLB regular, um, and, it's, and it's a good bet to be there. His approach is solid. He has a his above average bad speed. He has some feel for hit, and and that doesn't necessarily make you go, oh wow, that's a that's an impact big leaguer. But he's a catcher, so right. I mean, he's just really fun to watch, and it's going to be a going to be a cool cool thing for Dodgers fans to see homegrown catcher like him uh, hit for their team. And uh, then you got another guy with the drillers named Dennis Santana. He's kind of a guy who, uh, you know, a lot of doesn't really show up on many prospect lists, but he has a 93, 94 mile an hour uh, two seamer that, that really hits in on righties. And uh, he, yes, he, he knows how to command it. Um, the changeup is, is, Flashes average, and, and that could be a pretty devastating pitch. And the slider, uh, that could be another pitch in his arsenal that kind of ties it all together to to be a back of the rotation pitcher, and worst case scenario, a middle of the rotation guy or middle of the bullpen guy. And, uh, so you see, you see a lot of these guys, and you're like, well, uh, when is Texas going to grab some of those? They're all just young. They're all in Carolina. Yeah, that's right. But I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing those guys, and uh, I guess while we have you for just a little bit longer, I do have a quick question. With what you know about the way that the the Rangers organization is run, and kind of you see the uh, where we're at with the state of the farm at different levels, are there? Can you give me like a name or three or four of guys that are? we would recognize in, in Hickory or in uh, Down East that maybe we'll be uh, playing in the Metroplex in Frisco sometime, maybe in August or something like that. Yeah, of course. The the big one you everybody knows is Leody Tavares. And, uh, um, sorry, Tavares. And he's a, he's a guy who uh, everybody knows who he is because he's sort of hit that national publicity uh, level of, of impact kind of profile. He's a center fielder with plus defense, and, and that's going to get you places. But then he's a switch hitting guy who has who has um, good feel for hit from both sides of the plate, and, and all of a sudden that's a that's a profile that's going to be a big leaguer, and maybe more if he can develop some power. And um, you got guys like uh, Hans Kraus, who you know maybe didn't start out exactly the year didn't start out exactly how he wanted it to, but recent reports on him or that he um, he's throwing in the upper nineties and bullpens and he's got a wipeout 
breaking ball that was among the best in that draft. And I know the Rangers were shocked to get him in the second round. And I honestly kind of was too, because you don't really find pitchers with two impact pitches going that late. And, you know, it's, it's really cool that, you know, he kind of fell. And even if it's, even if it's because of some risk in his profile with uh, command, you really like to see that. And then you got a personal favorite of mine and then Tyreek Reed, uh, he, he kind of checks these boxes of, of large adult son who can mash the ball, who has some feel for hit. He, he has, a, has a solid understanding of the zone for his age and his level. And those kind of guys, and especially you can get them in the eighth round where there's some upside and maybe potentially some impact, that's, that's just a wonderful piece to get. And, you know, especially in a round you don't generally expect to get too much with. Uh, so, so I'd love to see what Tyreek Reed can do going forward. That's awesome. Yeah, it's uh, it's good to read up the reports on those guys. And like I said, they uh, they're in Carolina, but they're coming, and we're gonna see them before too late. And and with the way that the, the the major league team is going, it does not seem to be that we will be trading them away like we do with a lot of the other <laughs> prospects that we have. So we're actually going to uh, ride or die, sink or swim with some of these ex- exciting players. So um, while the, uh, the, the team isn't, the major league team isn't really satisfying our desires, the, the minor league, especially at the, those lower levels, has given us a lot to dream on. I, um, I would be lying to you if I said I did not go to sleep uh, the other day just running through, oh, man, and, like, Brady Feigl's doing pretty good, and Anderson Tejeda, he, he might turn into something, and just kind of, like, all of these names that, that give you a lot to be optimistic about. So um, that's, it's cool, and I'm really glad that you're able to come on and, and explain to us why we're going to win a World Series within the next, like, seven years. 2027, boys. That's the year. Mark Book it. down. <laughs> yeah, I echo that sentiment uh, that Hayden had. Uh, really appreciate you being on with us tonight, Kevin. Yeah, it's it's been a blast. And, you know, this is the kind of thing, talking baseball. I mean, who cannot have fun chilling here talking with a bunch of other guys about baseball, you know? Well, I guess I'll be the one to say I had no fun at all. I thought this was a, a worthless <laughs> exercise and an enormous waste of everyone's time. So, but for real. Uh, I think we had a, a pretty good talk tonight, and there's there's just so much on the board to talk about, even in a relatively down Rangers season and a relatively down Rangers farm. There's lots of interesting guys out there. There's always people to be dreaming on. We just essentially covered the highlights of two teams, and I think everyone would agree that outside of Willie Calhoun, the vast majority of the Rangers' interesting talent is in the low levels. So there's, there's definitely some reasons for optimism for folks out there. It may be a little bit down the road, but these kids are going to be coming. And like Hayden was just getting at, some of them are going to be coming to a ballpark pretty near you, dear listener, uh, be that Frisco or Round Rock within the, the next couple of months. So definitely keep your eyes and ears open and head out to Frisco. Even now, you know, the, the, the Frisco Rough Riders are not the best team they fielded in quite some time, but it's a lovely ballpark. It's a great way to go and get some cheap baseball and sit around and have a good time and come July and August they should be fielding some uh, hopefully some pretty interesting names yeah, you so, never know when that when that call from uh, high A ball is going to uh, make that team interesting all of a sudden you know that, that phone's going to start ringing 
But I think the phone is ringing on all of us here at the Rangers Rundown. We have very much appreciated you coming on and talking with us tonight, Kevin. So for those of you listening, you can find us on Twitter at Rangers Rundown. Our individual handles are in there. You can find Kevin at KevinWC7. Got lots of good things to say on Twitter. I do hope you're following Kevin already. Look for him in Baseball Prospectus. Look for us in, well, wherever you already found this podcast. Keep looking there. There will probably be more podcasts. What was that, Hayden? I said we're not published anywhere. No, we're never. I, I mean, I'm, keep an ear out. Do some reading. Just just remember, well, while Adrian Beltre's hamstrings may have abandoned us in 2018, um, Leanna Tavares is coming. So for all of us here at Rangers Rundown, pray for extra hamstrings. They're really useful. Go Rangers. Go Thank Rangers. Y'all. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you.